0: Well, good morning, y'all. Sorry, the weather forecast was a little off on that song, Michael. For second service, if we could just clear that up, that'd be good. Well, it is uh, beginning to look a lot like Christmas, I think. Um, December 1st wasn't on my radar, and that just, like, completely caught me off guard. Uh, But we're uh, starting a series uh, talking about experiencing the magic of Christmas, and uh, today it's the magic of generosity. So I... I think what I, what I like to do is just start out by saying that I think a lot of times we look at the Christmas season all wrong, right? We have a, a pretty um, jacked up perspective at times, and actually it's very similar at times in the same way that we look at Christianity as a whole, where we tend to look at it as what's in it for meat, right? And many of us tend to approach uh, the Christian faith with almost like a consumer mentality where we want to make sure that we have our list made of everything that we want God to do for me, uh, the prayers that I want answered, the ways that we want him to bless us, uh, how we want to prosper. Uh, we approach the church in the exact same way. I mean, we, we go to a church and we visit church but when we're trying to pick a church. We say, I want a church to make sure that it's going to cater and serve my needs, right? But the reality is that Christianity is exactly the opposite of that. The the Christian faith is actually designed around this idea that the more we live generously, the more we give of ourselves, the more we give away, the more we get in return. Um, So I'm going to read a passage that may seem at first a little odd um, for this uh, message, but you'll get it in a minute. And so in Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So usually we stop there and we say, yeah, you know, there's no question you're saved by grace and grace alone, right? You're not saved by works. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. And so most of the time, churches ignore the very next verse, which is very much a part of the previous two verses that I just read and should actually never be read apart because it goes on in verse 10 and it says, for which is a connecting word, right? Going back to grammar, for connecting us into verses 8 and 9. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared us in advance to do. So many churches actually never read past verse 9 when you know a pastor's up preaching. They stop at verse 9 because they don't know what to do with verse 10. Or if they read verse 10 and they do a message on verse 10, it's in isolation of verses 8 and 9 because there is this paranoia that we can't reconcile this idea of grace, where you can't earn your salvation, you can't work for your salvation, in conjunction with this idea that God has a very clear expectation of us to do what? Good works which Paul makes very clear and connects it into the entire salvation process. They can't be separated. So I think Paul takes these two seemingly separate things and he puts them together because the truth is they're inseparable. When we are saved by grace, all of a sudden, you open your eyes and you can see so clearly. That while we were yet sinners, while we were still living a messed up life, Jesus died for us. He did it so that we could have forgiveness. And when we get that, all you want to do is to spend the rest of your life saying thank you for saving me from the pits of hell, even though I don't deserve it. When we truly grasp how incredible is the grace that God has given us, we become people of gratitude, where our hearts are so overflowing with thanksgiving that we just have to do something to say thank you for what God has done for us, and so it causes us to begin to live differently. We begin to live generously Because all we want to do is to give back to others because of what God has done for us. And so the way we reconcile those two things in those verses is that living generously or doing good deeds, as Paul describes it, is not a criteria of being saved. It is a result of being saved. It is born out of being saved. And this is kind of a wake-up call, I think, for a lot of us, because in spite of popular opinion, we were not created to get ahead in this world. We were not created to get our piece of the pie. We weren't created to live a self-absorbed life or to prosper. We were created to be givers, not takers. And so that phrase that says that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works makes it abundantly clear, to me at least, that we were created to live generously and that as followers of Jesus Christ, serving is not an option, it's who I was created to be. And so just to be clear of, philosophically, how we look at the Christian life here at Westridge is that fundamentally we believe that the the very foundation of the christian faith is grace if we don't get the the grace piece if we don't get the the grace piece is foundational for everything everything else is off and then from grace is gratitude when we get how great is the grace of god we become people of gratitude and out of gratitude is born generosity these are the building blocks of the christian faith and If we don't have these three things in place first, the rest of our Christian life will be out of whack. If we have these in place, I promise you this, everything else will fall into place. If you have made the decision that you believe in your heart that you were created by God in the image of God, then you must also come to the realization That we were designed by God for something more than just me. For something more than just this world. That we were created to be people who live generously. People who give our time. People who give our money. People who do hard work to contribute to something that is bigger than just me. And a lot of times, you know, I think we try to convince ourselves that we're generous people and that we're living generously because we get our kids these beautiful ki- uh, gifts on Christmas or uh, we do a nice thing for our husband or wife or uh, we buy dinner for friends from time to time. And so we think, pat ourselves on the back and think, you know, we're, I'm a very generous person. But Jesus says, look, this, living generously is way bigger than that, Right? So Matthew 5, there's a pretty sobering passage where Jesus puts it in perspective for us because he says this. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who treat you poorly. So right off the bat, he raises the bar, right? Then he says, so that you may be children of God. Then he says, it's easy to love those who love you right? I mean, think about it. It's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to love your mom, who's like smothering love all over you, right? It's easy to love her back. It's easy to love your husband or wife when they're loving on you. He says, but even, aren't sinners even doing that? He said, and if you, if you only take care of your own family and friends, then what are you doing that's any different from those who don't believe? It's an interesting passage, isn't it? It's a tough passage because it challenges the way that we've always thought of what it means to live generously. Because a lot of times, I think a lot of us would say, you know, my ministry is my family. My ministry is to love them and provide for them and take care of them. And Jesus says, look, even people who don't believe are committed to their family and friends. So how are you any different than anybody else out there in the world because you're a follower of Jesus? When you're a Christian, when you commit your life to living for Jesus, your world of responsibility for others gets bigger. We are called to serve and to be generous with people that we don't even know. People who are not in our circle. And maybe even some people as Jesus puts it, that we don't like very much. He puts it as enemies. So, with that in mind, I would argue that we will never find fulfillment in our lives, we will never find true joy, we will never grow spiritually. Until we begin to live as we were created to live. Which is to do good things, as he describes it, for people who are not our people. But we make them our people because that's what we were created to do. Does that all make sense? That would be the theology of living a life that is generous. I, uh, as most of you know, I'm just a volunteer here, and so my paying job is that I'm an owner in a real estate investment firm. And a couple of weeks ago, my business partner, he pulls me aside and he goes, hey man, it, it seems like you're not as focused in on the business as you used to be. By the way, which is true, I spent about a decade of my life doing nothing but building the business and working all the time. And so he's, he's accurate in that. And he said, so I have to ask you, he says, are you happy? Are you feeling fulfilled? He said, on a scale of one to 10, like how fulfilled are you? And I think I shocked him because my answer was pretty quick and immediate. I said, it's a 10. And he's like, wow, he said, it just doesn't seem like it. And I said, yeah, it doesn't seem like it to you because I'm not deriving my sense of esteem and fulfillment from what I achieve in the business world anymore. The, the truth is, the more deals that I do in my career, the less meaningful they are to me. I just spoke at a pretty large business conference, which was kind of this you know, great conference to speak at, and I felt like a fish out of water because I just didn't feel like I fit in with all the kind of business minds and business world. And the truth is, and I told him this, the truth is that I get my fulfillment and my purpose in my life from the stuff that we do here at Westridge. I, I, I get fulfillment from the ministry that we're doing in Nicaragua. In fact, I could have never even dreamed it was possible to feel as fulfilled as I do as a result of that. I mean, look, I will continue to do the business thing because that's how I earn a living. That supports my family. That's what I have to do. And don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for my job. It's a great job. It's a great company. I'm grateful for the success of our company. And the truth is I couldn't do what I do at Westridge and Nicaragua without it. But the truth is most of what we were doing will one day come to an end. Most of what we are building and accumulating will one day become meaningless. But the things that we're doing here at Westridge and the things that we're doing in the ministry in Nicaragua, that's stuff that, stuff that lasts beyond the grave. That's stuff that brings me closer to God. That's stuff that brings me closer to my family. That's the stuff that brings me the greatest sense of joy in my life. There was a survey that was conducted where more than 250,000 church-going people were asked the question, how do you grow spiritually? Oddly enough, the survey revealed the same thing that Jesus taught 2,000 years ago, which is serving causes spiritual growth. Serving experiences is the number one catalyst for growing spiritually. And I think it's because serving others takes us out of our comfort zone. It forces us to get our eyes off of ourselves and it causes us to look at the needs of other people versus our own needs and trying to get our needs met, we're focused in on trying to meet the needs of others. Nothing brings us closer to God than serving others. And at the point that we finally get that, everything changes. And as we skip and we and we look ahead at what our life is going to be about, and, and we look to the end of our life, I think that All of the excuses that we make for not living generously are going to sound so hollow. Where we say, well, God, I was was too busy. I had too much going on. I just couldn't balance it all. And there will come a day when we leave this world with regret for not having invested our lives in things that really matter in this world. We were saved by grace so that we could figure out who we were created to be, which as Ephesians describes, that we were created to be people who live generously by giving our time, our money, and our work to people who are not our people. People who are not In our circle. But we bring them into our circle. One of the most common failures, I think, of Christians who have lost sight of the wonder of God's grace is a tendency to complain. Complaining and negativity, I think, are an expression of losing our perspective about how grateful we are for the grace of God. And there's nothing worse than serving with people who are complaining about serving. It sucks the joy right out of whatever it is that you're doing. And I would say that if if we can't serve without complaining, then we shouldn't be serving. Just like giving. If we can't give without having a sense of gratitude for what we're doing, then we shouldn't give. God doesn't need your serving. He doesn't need your money. What he wants is a joyful heart where we respond with gratitude for the grace of that he's given us. And if we can serve with a sense of gratitude, if we can serve with a sense of joy, it changes everything. And there is this ripple effect that goes through the community where everybody is charged up and joyful about what's taking place. Spiritual growth is not about how knowledgeable you are about the Bible. Or having some pastor stand up and give you the Greek syntax for some verse. Jesus was very clear about how spiritual maturity takes place. Spiritual maturity occurs when we grow in our capacity to love and to serve others. When we reach a point in our lives, when we seek to serve rather than to be served. When we seek to be givers rather than takers. Nothing drives me more crazy when somebody comes up to me, at least once a year, somebody will come up to me in the church and they'll say, I am looking for a church where I could be fed. Or they'll say, I'm leaving a church because I'm not getting fed. That's like nails on a chalkboard for me, just to be honest. Because if we're all looking for a church that can serve me, that can feed me, then we're going to be in a pretty jacked up church where it's all very self-focused and all very self-absorbed people who are all trying to get something for me. And it's a wrong perspective. But when we commit to follow Jesus down the narrow dirt path, something changes and we live counter-culturally, which means that we're always looking for opportunities to feed others rather than to be fed. To serve others rather than to be served. If we're somebody who's not happy and we can't figure out why, odds are our life is out of whack and we're too focused in on how we're not getting our needs met or we're not getting enough attention. And we're focused in too much on me rather than on serving other people. Nothing will change your perspective more. Nothing changes my perspective more than when I get out there and I try to meet the needs of those who are the least of these and I go, I really got it pretty good. If we believe what the Bible says, that we were created to do good deeds and live generously, then we have to also come to the realization that we can only find true sustaining joy in our lives when we serve other people. Because generosity and serving triggers a fulfilling sense of joy in our lives. Our mission as a people of God is that we are to bring the radical love of God to people who are living in darkness and light up their world that we will always shine out the grace of God in everything that we do. The commitment that we've made at Westridge is that we will always be a church who will be here to serve the lost. People who are hurting. People who need Jesus until they can encounter the radical love of God through us and experience a little piece of heaven right here on earth. Nothing will cause our souls to shine brighter than serving other people. And so I challenge us all this morning to just take a look at what it is that we're doing to serve others, or not. And a lot of times what happens, and a lot of times what gets in the way, is that there are so many possibilities out there of serving that We actually just shut down and we don't do anything, right? Because we can't kind of figure out what it is that we want to do or we can't figure out how we can contribute back to the best. And so we analyze it, we think about it and we end up doing, we don't do anything. So here's what I encourage you to do this morning. Do something, even if it's wrong, even if it's not a good fit, because at least you figure out that's not a good fit. And now you can do something else that you can figure out. And we can keep doing things that aren't a good fit until we finally find the one that fits. Right, but at least we're doing something. we well, at least we're figuring it out, right? I mean, right here in the world of Westridge, we have this incredible platform of opportunities to serve, whether it's for kids or in the cafe, or um, we have the Huff Elementary stuff. We have uh, we're involved in Pads. Um, Shelby, I think, is rolling out a new sponsor a kid program this morning for another community that we're taking on called Tamborcito. And so in the cafe, you can go sponsor a kid in Nicaragua, but to look at all the possibilities of where are the least of these that Jesus describes, right? And so a lot of times we get caught up and we go, that person isn't the least of these. That person isn't deserving. But the truth is that we're all the least of these. We're all like together. And so it's just about serving for people who are in need at different times. Here's a great perspective. So We spent Thanksgiving at our home in uh, Nicaragua uh, a couple weeks ago. And so we're on our way to the airport. As we go on the way to the airport, there's this ritual that occurs where you start realizing what's occurring. And so you start stripping off your summer clothes and start putting on like jeans and real shirts and winter clothes. It's a very sobering, depressing moment when you start putting on (laughs) real clothes. So... We're going through Managua, which is the capital of Nicaragua. And there is there's probably a beggar on every street corner. And we're just a few minutes from the airport. So now it's time, right, that I have to finally get rid of my flip-flops. And I start putting on shoes and socks, which is the moment that I hate the worst. And we're stopped at a stoplight. And so I'm, I'm changing into my shoes and socks. And there is this woman who is a beggar who comes up to the driver's side. I'm in the passenger side. She comes up to the driver's side window. And she starts laughing. And she starts laughing to the point that she's like pounding on the car like she's laughing so hard. And I'm trying to ignore her. I'm just doing my thing until Stu, who's driving at the time, looks over. And he starts laughing at me too. <laughs> like, I'm getting a little bit of a complex, right? Like, so I said, Stu, what is it that she's saying? And he turns to me and he starts laughing. And he says, she's laughing at you because you have a hole in your sock. I'm like, really? And at first, I have to tell you, I'm a little incensed. I'm like, who does this woman think she is? She's like a beggar on the street, and she's laughing at me for having a hole in my sock? Come on. But then it occurs to me, right? In this moment, she and I, there's no difference between us. We're exactly the same. She's sitting there laughing, going, yeah, you could be, you know, rich boy and be in your nice clothes and driving your nice car. But at the end of the day, you got a hole in your sock just like I do. (laughs) We all got holes in our socks. Ain't nobody any better than anybody else. I'll tell you that. And we are all just... The reality is we are all just one layoff away. One bad economy away. One medical emergency away from becoming the least of these. From becoming a person who can serve to a person who needs to be served. From being a person who can help fill needs to becoming a person who is in need. And while there is still time, while we still are able to make a difference, let's do it. Let's just do something. I hope this Christmas will be different for you. I hope this Christmas will be different for all of us. Where we can stop focusing in on not getting my needs met, or what it is that I want, or blah, 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 but really focusing on what is it that I can do to make a difference? How can I help somebody else in need? How can I make a difference in somebody else's life? How can I help the least of these? Look around. It's all around us. Figure it out. Jump in, even if it's wrong. bible says that there will come a day when we will have to give an account for our lives and the bible says that for those of us who have committed our lives to serving others which by the way it doesn't say that we were created to do one good deed and then be done right it's a continual action where there's so much need in this world it's never enough it never stops and so, on that day that we walk out of this world and into the next, it says, for those of us who have given our lives to serve others, that all of heaven will stop and applaud. And in the midst of the applause, you can hear, if you listen really closely, the words that every Christian wants to hear on that day from Jesus Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. For whatever it is that you have done, even to the least of these, who, by the way, have holes in their socks just like you, you've done it unto me.